Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Shorter show today up until 610, and then our coverage of Red Sox baseball begins. Game two of the Sox three-game series with the Oakland A's. Sox 6-2 winners last night. Joining us now on the phone line is our Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Nesson, Tom Karen. TC, how are you? Doing well, Brady. How you doing? Excellent. Before we get to the Red Sox, let me ask you a very important question. Will you be sneaking over to the U.S. Open at all this weekend? I will be. Uh, Saturday is a Fox game, uh, fortunately. So we got Saturday off out of the Cardinals series. So I have uh, uh, managed to uh, weasel my way into a uh, hospitality tent. Uh, If you're around the 13th green, say hello. I have never been to a golf tournament. Well, I take that back. It's been 20 years since I've been to a golf tournament. How exactly does it work? Do you get situated at a hole, or can you follow a player, or what? Yeah, well, it's kind of both. It depends what you have for ticketing, right? A lot of it is just gallery ticketing, so you're you're free to roam about the course anywhere. There are bleachers. Uh, if you want to sit in the stands, you get there early. You stake your claim for the general admission side, and I don't know about this one. Usually there's a fair amount of general admission ticketing, and then you, so you sit over the 18th green. Hmm. Uh, the problem there is if you go run and do that, then you uh, wait for a while because yeah. no one will be on the 18th for a while. <laughs> and if you go in the earlier holes, then so a lot of people will you know start in the the seats of an earlier hole and then just roam, but then you're in the back of the crowd. Uh, there are also hospitality tents, corporate tents, the usual kind of suites, if you will. And those are set up at a hole and those are catered events. And Have you ever played Brookline? I know you're a big golfer. I did. I played there last year. Uh, a friend who's a member, Jim Skevington, who's one of the uh, Woo Sox owners, was gracious enough to uh, invite me. And it's it's great. It's old school. You know, you walk with caddies uh, who, who know the history and uh, every inch of every break. It's a really interesting course because for this event, they actually go into there's a, a little nine hole course next to it called Primrose, mm. and they actually have taken that over uh, for a stretch, maybe even the whole season to reconfigure. And they've reconfigured a few of the holes to make them more challenging and more appropriate for for the pros. So they had to reconfigure four holes uh, of of uh, the country club for this event. Well, very very cool. U.S. Open begins uh, tomorrow, so we'll be talking. Can I about- just real quickly tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, Red Sox at one thirty. Correct. First round of the U.S. Open. Yeah. Celtics uh, Warriors at nine. Uh, if you're planning on driving in Boston tomorrow, just don't. Just don't. <laughs> just yeah. walk. If you're walking down here from Vermont, you'll get here quicker. Uh, <laughs> it's the the traffic here, the, and you know, and there's paving and pothole repairs going on. It's just. Not a great week to be driving around Boston. Not to be that cranky old man, uh, but it'll be nice when we're back to normal. Red Sox and Bruins insider Tom Karen of Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show as he is every single Wednesday. Let's get to the Red Sox. You know, I always praise High and Bloom. I criticize him when I think it's appropriate, but I always praise High and Bloom, especially his ability to find guys under the couch covers here. But let's let's go to the other side. What is it either about Alex Cora's delivery or player development that allows guys like John Schreiber and Rob Refsnyder to come in and be valuable contributors in this season. I mean, Schreiber looks like he's going to be a high leverage arm for the rest of the year. And Refsnyder gets three hits last night, two great defensive plays in as many games. And this is a guy that was on the scrap heap for a number of years. Yeah. A couple of different answers to that. One is a guy like Schreiber. I mean, it's almost, 
it's almost the, the Red Sox pitching lab now, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that. I mean, they're really good at telling, uh, showing these guys uh, that, that, you know, and Dave Bush is such a thinking man's pitching coach who had great success at the major league level. And you don't have a lot of pitching coaches who are both, you know, who can sort of help the analytics part of it. Uh, but but we're really good major league pitchers, and the players respect that more. But but they you know they can sort of show you that that releasing the ball with the pressure point here and an arm angle here as opposed to here with the sideward break of this as opposed to that, like they're really good at getting these guys to buy into that. Mm. And and Schreiber's a different look, right? He, he's down on the side, uh, and and I really like what he's done. He's almost. I don't want to say single-handedly, but he might be the most important guy in that bullpen right now because he stabilized that seven, eight inning role that now you can let Tanner Houck start to develop into the closer they've been looking for. Ref Snyder, I was talking to him after the game last night. It was interesting that, uh, you know, I'd forgotten that uh, in Tampa Bay, he had been an outfielder and he, Haim Bloom uh, was with him there in Tampa Bay. And, you know, a lot of his career, he's been an infielder, kind of a utility Mm -hmm. guy. And he said, he thinks he's a lousy infielder, and he said it really affected all facets of his game uh, by the constant grind of, of playing in an unfamiliar position. You've seen him in the outfield. Spectacular catch. Maybe the catch of the year Sunday in Seattle yeah. when he was in right field. Really good catch off Ramon Liriano last night going back towards the uh, – the garage door in uh, center field in the triangle. So maybe uh, part of it is getting him in, out, in the outfield. Part of it is, you know, they, they've got him in against lefties that they, they think he can uh, perform against, you know. But this is a guy who, you know, I know he's here because Kike Hernandez is injured right now. But Rob Refsnyder's looking to me like a guy who has a spot on this team. And, and they need that right-handed bat because they've been a little too left-handed heavy. Uh, so I like what he does with this team. What do you think of Chris Sales' comments and the reports that he'd be willing to be a reliever? Do you see that as a high-leverage reliever for the rest of the year? Is it he gets in as a reliever and it works back into the rotation? What exactly do you think is the best use of Sale for team and his own personal health? Well, remember, Dave Bush said those <laughs> comments last week on the road trip. Mm-hmm. That was before Nathan Evaldi and Garrett Woodlock both ended up on the injured list. So I'm not quite as sure now that they're as excited about him being in the bullpen. Uh, I, you know, the idea is if you can uh, bring him back in a relief role, maybe you can get him back sooner because you're not, you don't have to build him up as much, right? You get a couple of innings uh, and he's ready to go as opposed to, you know, three or four minor league rehab starts to get him built up to 75 plus pitches. Uh, which is, you know, going to be another three weeks once he starts a rehab, which he hasn't yeah. started yet. So I, I, the idea is to get him back and, and be able to help this team. The problem is Dennis Eckersley was saying it last night. If you do that, you bring him back in a bullpen, how do you stretch him out from there to start? You almost don't. So you almost, in that case, have to say, we're bringing him back, as you said, in a relief role that's an important relief role, and he's going to stay there for the rest of the year. Uh, I don't think that's what they want. I, especially with the injuries now, and there's always the uncertainty once uh, Nathan Evaldi has an injury that uh, will this thing linger? What's going to happen from here? Hips for both of them are a little concerning. So I, I think now, uh, and they haven't said this, but I do think they would like to get him stretched out to at least be a really long reliever or, you know, a guy who like Rich Hill can come in and face the order twice and maybe give you five innings. Yeah. Let's move over to the Bruins here. We saw Bruce Cassidy goes over to Vegas now. He's going to be the head coach out there. Uh, John Tortorella gets offered the job in Philly. 
What do you think? Uh, what's the timeline on the Bruins? You think not necessarily to make a hire, but when will we start hearing maybe at least you know the, their interest level in guys? It's a great question, and you know, as of last week, <clears throat> last time I checked, they hadn't really uh, even started interviewing anybody yet. The the process was just beginning. First of all, congrats to Bruce Cassidy, really good guy. And I think he's going to a really good uh, organization out there in Vegas. <clears throat> you know, he'll be the one. Now, I, I think coaches love challenges. Well, the challenge is going to be to turn Jack Eichel, the great hockey player, mm. into Jack Eichel, yeah. a leader. Uh, he can be a coach killer. Uh, he could also be a guy who now in the coming years, and I'm a Jack Eichel fan, I think, I think Vegas is a great place for him to sort of become the face of the franchise. But can you make him a leader in the dressing room? I think Cassidy can. Uh, but that's what he's going to face. Back to the Bruins, I, I don't know. You know, names are starting to come off the board now. I guess it wasn't everyone waiting for Barry Trotz, right? That's what we sort of thought, that the logjam was Trotz. Well, now teams are starting to move in other directions. Uh, Trotz taking his time, and we know he's still the front runner on several jobs. Uh, I don't know where he fits in here, and I don't know what their timetable is. I think, you know, it'll be interesting if if they thought – Bruce Cassidy was a little too tough and a little too uh, outspoken about his young players. Are you going for a tougher, more hardened veteran coach, or are you going in the other way? And if you go the other way, what about college guys? You know, Boston's such a great college town. Is a is a David Quinn who who didn't get much of a chance with the Rangers, but was uh, obviously a great coach here with Boston University. Nate Lehman won a national championship down at Providence College and is still there. Maybe they go in that direction. That's just me guessing. I don't have any knowledge of that. But that I think it's interesting to watch those guys and see if they fit into this discussion. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. And I think it's fascinating the way you just said that. So Bruce Cassidy, tough love, public accountability, calls guys out. He's now out of a job. Ime Udoka, tough love, public accountability. We're all praising him for developing the young guys. Is there a shelf life on how long you can get away with that kind of stuff? Like, does that, we're all loving what the Celtics are doing now, but five years down the road, are we going to be singing a different tune? Oh, I think so. Sure. I, I, you know, here's, here's what I think. I think coaching in professional sports, especially basketball and hockey is a pendulum. And I think a, a team after, you know, whatever period, if it goes well, then you can stretch it up forever and, and coaches can evolve. But by and large, you watch a team and you'll go generally from a, you know, stricter old school public accountability, as you just said, they generally from there will then go to a little more of a player's coach, a little more pat on the back. I always go back hmm. to the early 80s Celtics, Bill Fitch was the ultimate taskmaster, grinded out, that kind of guy. They went from him to Casey Jones, who was patching on the back, get out there and play, let me know if you need a rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that and and they won championships, right? That was the beginning of the Larry Bird era. And and you know, guys I think a lot of times need a different voice. Does I again I've told you this. I'm a huge Bruce Cassidy fan. I, I think he got a raw deal here, but quite often somebody pays the price. It's like pulling the goalie late in the game. Sometimes you pull the goalie after giving up four goals because your defense has been awful, not because the goalie did anything, but you're trying to shock the system, right? Yep. That's what I think this is for the Bruins. Uh, it, it's not fair to him, uh, but that's the way it is. Now, if you bring someone that the players maybe relate to or, or you feel they will, maybe all of a sudden you get more out of DeBrusque and he's happy. And maybe these young guys start to and, – and, again, that's a short term because maybe this voice, they start to tune him out in three to five years. But – 
you know, it's the oldest cliche in the book. You're, play, you're paying the players far more. There are a lot more zeros on that player's payroll than there is on the coaching staff payroll. When you got to make a change, it's going to be the coach, not the players. Uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, there is a shelf life. Does it mean Ime Odoka uh, is going to run out in five years? You never know because he's a first-year head coach. He could evolve, and sometimes the coach himself changes over time with the group. I think the great ones do, right? The ones with longevity do. It's not my way or the highway. It's what's the best way to get the most out of this group right now. Some coaches figure that out and last a very long time with one team. Others, their way works for a while. Then they move on to another team and their way works for a while. Uh, Barry Trotz, who we've talked about, was great in Nashville, even though he didn't win at all. Ultimately, they felt they needed a new voice. Went to Washington. They won the cup. Ultimately, they didn't want to pay him. He went to the Islanders, back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. Now this year, didn't work. All of a sudden, they think there's a disconnect with the young players. That's the way it goes. doesn't mean Barry Trotz is less of a coach now than he was when he won the Cup with Washington. just means he wasn't the right voice for this team. That's what the Bruins thought about Cassidy. Maybe he's the right voice for Jack Eichel and the, and the Knights. We'll see who the right voice is for the Bruins. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson. TC, enjoy the game tonight. Josh Winkowski on the mound for the second time this year. And then uh, just get to, get to Saturday and enjoy going on to the U.S. Open. It's Yeah, as long as we can get there. We'll see what the traffic's like. If I send you a panic call from Route 9, uh, just don't answer. It's me venting. I need someone to vent to. Don't wear a live golf shirt. They frowned upon, they frowned upon it's that. It's the Civil War. You know, there were a bunch of those guys, a bunch of golfers who were at Fenway last night. They were like, you want to try to go talk to them? And I didn't go directly, but we put out – nobody wants to talk to the media yeah. this week. I mean, it is a Civil War, and we are on the front lines. This is – you know, Boston, the country club is the Gettysburg of the golf world right now. And uh, the two sides are lined up looking at each other. And I find it really intriguing that that everyone's welcome from the USGA's perspective, which I think is great. Uh, and I think, you know, that's going to factor into the crowd reaction to some of these guys. I think it's going to be a great week of golf. Well, looking forward to that. And TC, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it.